turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. At one point, Jesus tells us in the Gospels that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here, in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus acknowledge once again the righteousness of the Pharisees. Just exactly what is that righteousness is the subject of our time today and tomorrow on this edition of Abounding Grace. Join us. The Pharisees, they had a righteousness. In fact, it was a righteousness that even Jesus acknowledged and recognized. But was it enough? And what kind of righteousness was it? Those are the questions we hope to answer today. Feeling righteous, self-righteous, feeling sufficient to get to heaven on your own? Jesus has a few words for you, and we'll look at them today. We're in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Here's our teacher and Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We now have the story of Levi putting on a feast in his own home in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those old Pharisees and scribes begin to murmur against Christ and his disciples for gathering with tax collectors and sinners. Now Luke, in telling the story, compassionate man that he was, says there are tax collectors and other people, instead of calling them sinners as the Pharisees did. But who are the people that filled the house when Levi threw his party for Christ? First of all, the King James Version says they were publicans, which is another name for a farmer of a tax or a tax gatherer. They were Jewish men who had hired on as bureaucrats in the regime of the despised Herod Antipas. They were wealthy businessmen. They were collaborators with the Roman Empire. They were most certainly enemies of the Jewish covenant people. They were traitors to their own country. They were viewed as outcasts. They weren't even allowed to serve in court as witnesses. They weren't allowed to bear testimony in court. And as soon as they took their job with the Roman equivalent to the IRS, they and their families were executed, excommunicated, from the church. These tax collectors were considered among the Jewish people as lowlifes. Now, our text says not only were these tax, these outcasts, the tax collectors present, but notice in verse 30 it says tax collectors and sinners according to the Pharisees. Now, notice what it doesn't say, though. 
it doesn't say tax collectors and other sinners. Uh, There's no other there. As if the Pharisees were saying that the tax collectors were lowlifes, but they're not like the sinners. So the word sinner is not here being used in the biblical sense as a transgressor of the law of God. But it is being used for the sake of argument here, the way the Pharisees saw these people. The Pharisees saw a sinner as anyone who was not as zealous as they were at following the traditions and the ethics of the rabbis. Remember the standard the scribes and Pharisees lived by. It was the law of God as interpreted by the centuries-old traditions of these same scribes and Pharisees, which were nowhere near accurate interpretations, but manipulations and perversions and misinterpretations of the law of God. So it was not the Torah, the law of God that they lived by, as much as it was their scribal misinterpretations, of which there were hundreds upon hundreds. And if anyone did not pattern their life by what the Pharisees said was the standard by which they were to live, that is, all these scribal interpretations of the law of God, they were looked upon then as sinners, a class of people that the Pharisees shunned. They were not to associate with these sinners, lest they became ritualistically unclean. They were the outcasts, as I said, the the good-for-nothings, the rejects of the Jewish culture. You couldn't get any worse as far as the scribes and Pharisees were concerned than being a tax collector and a sinner. That is, someone who didn't agree with the Pharisees and scribes as how to life should be lived. And anyone who was not as strict in their legalism and not as zealous as the scribes and the Pharisees were, trying every day to make more and more points with God, was considered by their standards to be a sinner who was not worthy of their attention or their concern. Now, why would these outcasts be at this party where Jesus was? We saw last time that the purpose of this party was to honor the Lord to Jesus Christ. And in that light, I believe it is obvious why Levi invited these people to this party, these outcasts and tax collectors and other sinners. It was with the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ might free them from their actual sins and bring them to new life in himself. That's why Levi invited them. Now, here you don't see that quite as clearly in Luke, but you do see it implied in Mark. Mark 2.15 says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his, Levi's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. 
Levi's former associates, having met the Lord Jesus Christ, did what Levi did. They left all to follow Jesus Christ. This party that Levi threw was no mere social gathering in which Jesus was simply trying to win the favor of these men by associating with them. This was an evangelistic dinner, and they all knew it. Levi invited all of these sinners, these outcasts, to his house. He spent a fortune on this party for one reason, so that people would meet and hear Jesus and hopefully be converted to a saving faith in him. Levi was quite a man. This was not a farewell dinner for his associates. He didn't call all of his friends together and say, hey, listen, you've all been truly wonderful friends. We've all cheated the Jews blind together. We've collaborated with Rome and made a lot of money off of a pitiful people. This is my party to tell you it's all over for me. I'm leaving. This is my farewell dinner. It was exactly the opposite. Levi was not bidding farewell to these people. He was bringing them all to his house because he wanted them to join in with him in his new life he had found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' presence there was in no way for the purpose of condoning the sinfulness of these outcasts, nor was his presence there for the purpose of sympathizing with all of their ungodly practices and activities, as the Pharisees would have believed. He was there because there were sick people there who needed to be healed. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, he said. He was there so that all of Levi's unsaved friends and associates could hear the word of God, so they could meet Christ and prayerfully have their lives transformed as Levi's life was by the word of Christ. Now let me ask you a question and give you a sincere suggestion. Have you ever thrown a really nice dinner for all of your unsaved friends? So that they could possibly for the first time hear about the Lord to Jesus Christ. It's of course great to have Christian friends over to your house for a big feast where you celebrate Christ together and everyone's a kindred spirit. But have you ever thought about spending a part of your income, throwing a fine party, setting a fine table, and the only people you invite over, except for maybe a few like me, who are only unbelievers. The purpose being that at the end of this feast, they can hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, it says right here, it worked for Levi. And I think it can work for you as well. And you can even call on me. I'd be glad to participate in it with you. But you need to have that thought, beloved. It's a great idea. Well, then Jesus showed up, and when Jesus showed up, the scribes and the Pharisees were shocked. They were offended and they were outraged. Notice what they did in verse 30. 
when they saw Jesus at this big reception with this crowd of tax tax collectors and other people, the Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? What are you doing, Jesus? You you claim to be a teacher. You, You claim to know God. You claim to believe the Bible. And yet you are closely associating with people who are disgustingly unclean and in rebellion against God, which they were. And although the scribes and Pharisees were against them because they were not like them, their description of the tax collectors and sinners was right on target. They were the spiritually amoral, the low lives of that culture, and the scribes and Pharisees were shocked at Jesus for communing with such people. Because you see... They had a method by which they were going to propagate their religion. And you might call it salvation by segregation. Let's segregate ourselves. And the more we segregate ourselves from the disgustingly unclean people, the more people are going to want to be drawn to us. That's the way they lived. Jesus, of course, came up with a much better method of evangelism. It was salvation through association. Rather than segregating ourselves from sinners and tax collectors, let's associate with them. Of course, don't copy their lifestyle. Beware of too close of alliance with them. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But go out into the highways and the hedges and associate with people who are outside of Christ that by your loving association and concern for them, they might be drawn to you and being drawn to you, they may be then drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the Pharisees saw a far greater difference between themselves and Jesus than just their evangelistic strategy, I assure you, because one of the reasons the Pharisees were so outraged at the Lord Jesus Christ was that they saw him doing, what they saw him doing at this banquet for sinners was a blow to the very foundation of their theology. It wasn't just a difference of evangelical strategy. Uh, Jesus, you should learn to be more wise in the way you try to convert people. The, The only way you're going to convert them is to separate yourself from them, not associate with them, they would say. But the difference was deeper than that, and the Pharisees really knew it. The Pharisees knew that what Jesus was doing that day was a blow at the very foundation of everything they stood for. You see, these Pharisees and scribes had a heritage that they absolutely loved. Many of them had been seriously persecuted because of the heritage to which they were devoted. These Pharisees had a theology that they were willing to suffer for. And they had an ethic that they were proud of and zealously devoted to. And they would not change, no matter how severely they were persecuted. 
They were devoted to the highest degree, not simply to the law of Moses, but to their own commentary on the law of God, passed down through the centuries by scribal tradition. And it was that human commentary that governed all their social relationships. And one of the fundamentals of their theology and their whole way of life was this distinction between those who zealously followed the traditions and those who rightly refused to do so. The Pharisees had an expression for both of these kind of people. See if you know these words. Those who zealously followed the scribal traditions were called righteous, their term. And those who refused to follow their human commentary on the law of God were called sinners. And for that distinction to ever be blurred would be a crushing blow to the very root of their religion. To integrate with sinners, to have a party with sinners, to sit down at a table with sinners would destroy everything they stood for. So it's very important to see what Jesus did here. These scribes and Pharisees were the rulers, you know, the leaders of the church. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes before them, and he sits down with the outcasts. And in so doing says, he hereby rejects the standards, the motives, and the goals of the Pharisees' religion. He basically says it's not only absurd, it is unjust, inhumane, and contrary to the purposes of God. So when he ate with those sinners, the Pharisees called sinners anyway, he understood that self-consciously he was putting the blowtorch to everything the Pharisees held sacred. Jesus was saying, I disagree with and do hereby condemn your religion as absurd, unjust, uncompassionate, and contrary to the Word of God. Your understanding of theology, Pharisees, your, your heritage, your ethics, the standards by which you live, your, your definitions of justice, those things that motivate you, the goals that you are striving to reach, I reject it all and condemn it as not bringing people closer to God, but away from God. What is the standard by which you live, Mr. Pharisee. It's the standard of man. No matter how much religiosity you give to it, no matter how sacred you make it appear. Yes, but this is the standard tradition of the church. These are the long-standing things that the church has always believed. These men who came up with these things were great biblical subscriptionists. Some of the wisest and greatest rabbis that ever lived, they said. So they veiled all of this unbiblical verbiage in nice religious language, when at the heart the whole point was 
that they were living by the interpretation of men rather than by the will of Almighty God revealed clearly in his word. Jesus said, anyone who lives by the standard of man and does what man wants him to do and thinks his own purpose in life is to do whatever is meaningful to him because he assumes he has the authority from God to determine right and wrong for himself, that person stands condemned before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the standard by which he lives is not something that simply needs a a little correcting, a little twisting. Jesus didn't in some nice little way say to the scribes and Pharisees, "You're, you're right as far as you go. Oh, you've made a few mistakes, but basically you've got a good idea here. Just let me make a couple of corrections. No, Christ says, forget your standard. Forget it. It leads you away from God, not to God, Mr. Pharisee. It doesn't lead you to righteousness. It leads you to sin and rebellion against God. Your entire standard is wrong. Christ says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to reject any other standard you're living by. And surrender your will to the standard of Holy Scripture alone. And your motivation. Your whole motivation is wrong, Mr. Pharisee. There's nothing good and admirable about the motives you have. Self-righteousness motivates you, Mr. Pharisee. Self-esteem, self-trust... You are saying with your attitude, I'm basically a good person at heart, and I want that goodness to be manifested to God and to man so everyone can see me. So, I'll go on to the street corners and pray. I'll do my almsgiving in public, because the goal of my life is for everyone, men and God, to appreciate my goodness as much as I appreciate it. And Jesus says, in effect, By eating with these tax collectors and sinners, there's nothing admirable about your motivation. It is an ugly and disgusting thing. He says, in effect, the reason for your existence, the purpose for your religion, the purpose of your heritage, your ethics, your theology, is to focus on self, to be me-centered. You're running in the wrong direction, Mr. Pharisee. My friends, if anyone sets their goals on what the scribes and Pharisees set as their goals, they will not be running to heaven. They will be running to hell as fast as they can. Their standard is their own determination, their own understanding of the way life is, their own sense of meaning and purpose and of right and wrong. Their motivation is that people will come to appreciate that they are basically good and humble. The Pharisees understood that if just Jesus is allowed to live, then everything they stand for will perish. Therefore, he must be removed from the scene. For they understood this more and more every day as he preached and ministered among the people. But understand, they were so shocked and outraged when Jesus sat down and ate and drank with the sinners. Why? Because they knew it was a deliberate crushing blow to everything they stood for.
And understand, beloved, that that is the way that Jesus Christ confronts you and I. And that's the way that he will confront all the people that you desire to become Christians, that you witness to. Maybe there's someone even here today, a a church member, or maybe a visitor who came here and is not a Christian. I, I don't know. But I tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ comes to you the way that he came to Levi and his friends, and the way that he eventually impressed the Pharisees, and he says, Do you want to become a Christian? Then the standard by which you are living now must be rejected. The motives and the goals of your life must be rejected and you must surrender your all at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website, 408-866-07. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music> 